Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Um, My name is Devin, um, and I get to help lead the next generation here at The House alongside my wife. What's up, girl? What's up, Sydney? And with our team, uh, we get to love on young people. And so if you're a parent here, we would just want you to know that we don't take that for granted. That's not something that we think is just like our job for right now. Like, no, we really intentionally love on the next generation, believe that God has a call on their life, that the call doesn't start when you're 25. It doesn't start when you're 40, but it can start when you're 5, 6, 7, 10, 12. Um, and so we really um, appreciate you for trusting us with your kids, because to be honest, y'all don't know me. So, um, <laughs> But thank you for letting us know love and challenge your kids. Um, Well, before I get into what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to continue the Unexpected Moment series, but um, I always want to honor Pastor Stephen and Katie, even when they're not here. Um, Obviously, I know that, um, come on, if you don't know them, we have pastors who love people. Um, They really love people, Um, and I know this because they've loved me for a long time, and when they met me, I did not look like much, okay? Come on, I was awkward. I didn't know the right things to say. I was always afraid to step up, but they loved me anyway, challenged me, um, and encouraged me, and so I just want to let you know, come on, that our pastors love you. Um, I know that I didn't build this platform that I'm standing on that Pastor Stephen and Katie did with sacrifice and obedience and submitting to the call of God on their lives, and now I get to live out mine, Um, and we all get to live out ours. We get to go through framework and serve. And, and, and walk in purpose because they decided, hey, I'm going to load up my family from Hot Springs, sell everything, and move to Rogers and start a church. That's not normal. That's not what normal people do. Um, but they answered the call of God on their lives, and it's allowed other people to do so in the process. So could we just give a little honor to them, even though um, I know that they're not here? Um, so, like I said, I'm going to um, pick up our Unexpected Moment series. I was joking in first service that, man, Pastor Stephen found a way to preach a little bit, even when he wasn't here. Uh, so I'm going to have to dive right into it. Um, but last week, he kicked it off, and he was talking about Simon the leper. Um, and he talked about how people can go uh, from hurting to hosting. So it's this idea that all of us have brokenness and all of us have things that we're working through. But God doesn't just leave us there. Come on, he moves us to a place. Come on, you can go from being the person that nobody wants to be around. Come on. I've been that person before. And you can transition to being the person that everyone wants to be around. And there starts to be some things that flow out of you and bring life to other people. Um, And so I'm going to pray and then we're just going to dive right into it. Um, God, we thank you uh, for bringing us here. God, we pray that you would move um, in a mighty way today. God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would open our ears. God, that you would build our faith. Um, God, I'm praying that today some people will have their hope renewed, their hope restored. Um, God, that you would speak to us in a new way. And ultimately, we would leave this place um, different than we can. We would leave um, stirred up to do what it is that you've called us um, to do. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but have you ever found yourself in a situation where you thought, I was not expecting this? Like when I woke up this morning... I didn't think my day was going to go this way. You had a plan. Come on, you had your schedule. I'm not a scheduled person. I just kind of wake up and it's like, what's next? Um, But my wife likes to have the Google calendar and the little different colors, and it tells us what we're doing. Um, You may have woken up one day and you thought, man, it's going to be a great day, and it turned out not so great. Um, I have a moment like that that I would just like to share with you. We're just getting to know each other a little bit. 
Um, a few years ago, um, I was on a Be The One mission trip, and so if you don't know what Be The One is, it's a ministry that um, Pastor Stephen and Katie started a few years ago. Um, and what we do during the summers is we do outreaches with young people, um, and we go out and we go to uh, low-income apartment complexes and throw carnivals, and we go to teen challenges, and we go to nursing homes and do free car washes, and we do all this stuff, and we pack it into like a week. And so we're doing like two and three, two or three outreaches a day, and for me, like I'm an introvert, so it like burns me out, okay? I'm like, at the end of it, I'm like, I'm ready to just go take a nap. Um, but one of the things we notice is that, hey, if we're going to do this much, if we're going to love on people for seven days, eight days in a row, then we got to have a fun day, right? And so we decided, come on, we're going to do a canoe trip, an eight-mile float on the river for the fun day. Don't ask me why we chose that. That wasn't me. I wasn't in the room when that decision was made because I've never been in a boat on, in my life before this. But they decided, you know what, we tried to do the trampoline park and someone like twisted their ankle. So we were like, okay, we can't do that. Then we went to the zoo and I'm like, it's the summertime. It's hot. We're walking around at the zoo like this is not fun. Um, so we landed on, we're going to do an eight mile canoe trip. Praise God. Come on, it's going to be fun. It's going to be amazing. So this was the first summer we decided to do this, and this was my first summer really having um, some leadership, a little bit of leadership. So, you know, I felt a call of God on my life. Pastor Stephen was like, all right, you can be in charge of the trailer, and then you can assign people in boats. So I'm like, okay, I've never done this before, but hey, you told me I'm a leader, so I'm just going to lead it, right? So he's giving me all the background of like, hey, you want to you pair people up, make sure you do nice at parents so that people aren't lagging behind. Like, we don't want to put two kids who are going to go super slow, but we also don't want to put the two macho men together so that they leave everybody. So he's telling me all these things, and I'm really like, yeah, I'm only thinking about who I'm going to put in my boat right now. <laughs> like, I'm looking through the list like, uh, no, not you, not you. But we had this guy named Coop, right? Um, and his name was Diamante Cooper, but I just call him Coop because I don't have time to pronounce all that every time <laughs> I was talking to him. So I just call him Coop, right? And I was thinking, man, Coop is the guy for the job. If anybody's going to be in my boat, it's going to be Cooper. Because here's the thing about Cooper. Cooper was swole. Like, Cooper was ripped. Like, if you stand... <laughs> Me next to Cooper, we look like the number 10, okay? It was great. It's a match made in heaven. It was great. So I was like, I'm putting Coop in my, in my boat. The only thing I really didn't consider is that I had never been in a, in a canoe in my life. And Cooper is from the same place that I'm from. So he had never been in a boat in his life. But I just thought, you know what? I can be the brains. He can be the brawn. We can just work this out, all right? So we're sitting in this, like... We're standing in the, in the, on the uh, riverbank, and they're, like, giving us, like, tips. They're like, make sure that you make J's with your oars. I'm not paying attention. Like, I'm just like, let's go. We're going to leave everybody. Because even though it's not a race, it's always a race. Like, you never want to be the one that's coming in last. Like, come on, I want to at least be, like, top five. So I'm like, me and Cooper are about to burn everybody. I don't want to say that I immediately regretted my decision. I'm just saying if I could do it over, I probably would have picked somebody different. Um, and there was a few things I didn't know. I didn't know that you need to put the strong person in the back because they're like the motor. So I hopped in the back. I'm like, I'm going to just be in the back. I figured he'll be looking that way. I could catch a couple naps on the, on the ride. It's going to be great. So we spend the first several minutes getting our boat to just go straight. Because every time Cooper would hit the water, our boat would just go. <laughs> and I'm just in the back like, I can do nothing at this point. Like, I, I'm just like, it's like, I might as well just, we're not going anywhere. So finally, we get it figured out. I'm like, Cooper, you got to turn it down a little bit, you know, so that we can be doing the same strength and we can go straight. So we were like, all right, we got it down. You may not know this about Pastor Stephen, 
but he likes to have fun. He likes to laugh. He likes to joke. He's not the guy that's going to be the quietest guy in the room. Like, if you hang out with him for an extended amount of time, you're going to have fun, okay? We're going to have fun. So he thought it would be fun to pull up beside me and Cooper and just give us a little splash. Just like, ah, it's funny, we're splashing. So me being the mature saint I was at the age of 19 and 20, I was like, oh, we got to get you back. We got to splash you back. So I'm like, Coop, get him. So we start splashing, and Stephen just has his kids in the boat with him, so they're no match for us, obviously. So we're destroying them, right? But Coop, Coop is, like, going too hard. Like, there's a certain level that it's like, okay, this was fun, and now it is intense. And Cooper <laughs> is the type of person that goes to the level 10. And I know y'all know some people like that. I'm more of, like, a 3 or a 4. Cooper is a 10. So he's like, oh, I'm getting you. And it's like waves, just like splashing. <laughs> So I noticed our boat is starting to do the crazy thing again, and we are headed for a tree. So Pastor Stephen just is like, oh, we have fun. We're going to go now. So he straightened his. They go down the river. It's great. I'm yelling at Cooper like, no, you got to stop splashing. He's still trying to splash Pastor Stephen from afar. It's like, you're about to kill us. So we, we head for this tree, and by the time I finally get Cooper to stop, it's too late. We're, we're too far gone. So we smash into the tree. Our boat flips over. We lose a paddle. I lost my shirt. So the rest of the trip, I got to go around shirtless. And I'm not the shirtless type of guy. Like, I'm not the one that's going to be like, oh, shirts versus skins. Like, that's not me. I'm, I'm shirts. I'm always on shirts team. It doesn't matter. I'm on a shirts team. Okay? So I can remember we got back on the bus. I'm sitting there. I'm soaking wet. I don't have on a shirt. <laughs> Maybe everybody wasn't laughing at me, but about 99% of everyone was like, what happened to you? And I can think, I, w- I came on a missions trip to change the world. I came to minister, to deliver the gospel to the hurting and the broken. Come on. And here I am upside down in a river. And my swimming skills are not great. Like, I can swim well enough to save me, but if me and Mitch are in the river and both are drowning and he can't swim, every man for themselves. Like, (laughs) tell Jesus I said hello. So, like, I don't know if Coop can swim. But obviously, we got got it figured out. But I can remember being on the boat and thinking, man, I, I didn't see this day going like this. And I think that's a really funny story, and we can all laugh at my lack of canoe skills. But... In real life, we catch ourselves in moments where we think, this was unexpected. I did not expect my life to look like this. I didn't expect my kids to be rebellious. I didn't expect Malachi to learn the word no so fast. I feel like he was here for like three months, and then he was like, no. It's like, I'm the dad. I didn't expect my marriage to look like this. I didn't expect to lose that job that I've had for such a long time, and I thought I was doing good. I didn't expect to go through financial crisis and have to borrow money from people. Like, I didn't expect my life to look like this. And sometimes things can seem a little bit hopeless. It can seem like, man, this is like this situation is dead. Like, there's no hope for this to turn around. There's no hope that this is going to get better. But um, the title of what I'm talking about today is It's Not Over. So look at somebody real quick and say, It's Not Over. All right, that's the only time that I'm going to make you do that because I'm an introvert and so I don't like talking to people at church so I know that you don't so we won't do that again some of y'all like I love it do this the whole time I'm not that type of person I think that God is in what I like to call the bring it back business come on 
God can take something that looks like it's nothing and turn it and make it produce life and make it everything that it was meant to be. And so as we dive into um, a Bible story today that we all know, uh, we've all heard it before, I just wanted to start with that, that God is in the bring it back business. And the things that look dead, um, he can bring them back to life. And so we're going to be looking at the story um, of Lazarus. So that's in John chapter 11. We're going to start at the beginning. I just want to give you a little spoiler alert. He dies. He's going he's gonna to die. Um, I just set you up on the front end because I don't like suspense. I don't like suspenseful movies. I don't like crime and drama and all that. I just like stuff that makes me laugh. I don't want, I don't want the stress of going through, like, what's going to happen? So he dies. We all know that. Um, so John chapter 11, um, verse, we're going to look at verse 1 through 6 to start. And it says this, Now a certain man was ill, um, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her si- Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was was ill. So Jesus knows these people. Uh, Pastor Stephen even talked about Mary and Martha a little bit last week. Um, But so this is not some random dude. This is somebody that Jesus is friends with. Um, So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And this is where the story starts to shift for me, right? Because say, like, somebody I loved was sick, like, so one of my friends was sick, so Courtney came into the office one day, Adam is sick, we need to go now. I'm going to pretty much move immediately because Courtney is a nurse, and so if it's that serious, you know, I probably need to move, I need to go pray, need to go lay some hands, go do something, Jesus hears that his friend is sick, and he's just like, all right, see y'all in a couple days. We're just going to chill right here for a couple more days, and we'll basically see you when you get there. I'll tell you something that really bothers me, okay? When I text somebody, and they have their read receipts on, so like their phone tells me that they read the message, and then they don't respond. Like, in my relationship with Sydney, usually I'm the person that doesn't text back. But every now and then, Sydney won't text me back. And it just, it just bothers me so deeply, even though I know that most of the time I'm the culprit. I'm just like, do you know that your phone tells me? <laughs> you can turn that option off. I don't have to know. <laughs> but you're just going to leave me on red? I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're more saved than me and you don't mind being left on red, but it just bothers me. And it, if you look at this story, it's like Jesus left these people on red. Like we sent you a letter and you just were like, We'll be there in a couple days. The sickness doesn't lead to death. I'll be there when I get there. But I don't, I don't know that that's exactly uh, what happened. And so I want to um, share a few thoughts that I pull from this story. And the first one is that God's promise overrides my circumstance. God's promise always overrides my circumstance. I don't think that Jesus was ignoring them. Um, I don't think that he was just forgetting about them or that he was too busy. I think that Jesus spoke to it immediately. He said, this sickness does not lead to death, but to the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So basically, what he was saying was that it's going to be okay. It's going to lead to glory for me. And here's the thought that I have on that, is that we know that, that the Word of God has the power to create, right? 
So we may not be Bible scholars in here. Maybe we have a few. You know, you went to seminary. You got your degree. Uh, But we know that in the beginning, there was nothing, and then God spoke, and then everything happened. So God's words have the power to create. So when Jesus spoke, hey, this is not going to lead to death, it created something. It created, hey, that, this is not how it's going to end. It's not going to end like you think it will end. Um, God has already spoken about the situations in your life. So we can take that part from that story where Jesus says, this won't lead to death, and I can look at my own life, and you can look at your life and say, I have hard moments, but God has already spoken to them. And here's how he's already spoken to them. So we probably just need to get on the same page real quick. So I believe that the Bible is the inherent word of God, and you can trust it, you can believe in it, it's true, and it's absolutely true. There's no substitute for it, there's no better way than it. It's the Bible, God gave it to us so that we can know how to live life, and it's full of promises that God has given to us. So when I have a hard situation, come on, when my kids are being rebellious, when my, when my marriage is looking like it's about to fall apart, when that business that I wanted to start a couple years ago is like, oh, it ain't really working out. God has promises for us already, and I can begin to speak those, and I believe that that was what Jesus was doing. Um, Jesus was speaking to it and saying, this is how it's going to end up. The middle may not look the same, but it's going to end up with a glory for me. And so for me, um, a few years ago, Pastor Stephen called me. He was like, hey, I'm playing a church in Rogers, and I want you to come. It's going to be called The House. I was like, oh, that's a cool name for a church. Um, I've never been a part of a church plant, so let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Um, So I asked my grandma, and um, I was in college at the time, and she was super big on, like, you're going to finish college. Like, I will, if I have to drag you to the classes every day, you're going to finish college. But this would mean that I would have to leave school. Um, So I was like, oh, I don't know if she's going to be cool with that. Um, But she said, you know what? If you feel called to it, if if it's something that you're going to love to do, then baby, go ahead and do it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. So then, and y'all don't judge me for telling y'all this because I'm just, you know what I'm saying, opening up, being a, little, being a little vulnerable with you guys. The one thing I usually do when I'm going to a new place is your boy going to look up the demographics. I'm going to just have, I'm going to have to see. And here's what I'm looking for, okay? I'm looking to see if I can thrive in that place. Growing up, my hometown is like 50-50. So, you know, it's a great place for me because I'm 50-50. It just works out. I can just, come on, you know, don't judge me. (laughs) So I know, hey, I could thrive in my hometown, and I always felt like God was going to call me to a place where that would be useful, that I could could thrive in who I was, and I wouldn't have to act a certain way or be a certain different thing that I'm not, but that I could walk in the calling of God on my life, and I'd be ashamed of, like, who I am and what I look like and and be able to minister to people. So I looked at the demographics for Rogers. And, you know, I'm from 50 50, and it's like, here, it's like 85. 10, and then, like, we like a half of a percent. Um, so I was like, maybe, you know what, maybe these just haven't been updated. So when we got here, I went to Walmart, and it was like, oh, I'm like a fly in a bowl of milk around here. This is, not, this is exactly. So if I wasn't careful, I could have looked at that and thought, I don't have a place here, so I need to go back to where I was from because the middle didn't line up with what I thought God was calling me to do. But the truth of the matter is, I have been able to thrive here. I have been able to lead here. And I've been able to do it and still be me. Um, Because we have a house that you can build your life here, 
regardless of what you look like, what um, economic background you have, what class you're from, what, where you went to school, whether you work in the front office at Walmart or if you work at the cashier register or if you stock shelves, like you can be all that God has called you to be in this house. And the middle doesn't, I don't want to say that the middle doesn't matter because the middle is where I think that our character is built. Come on, I had to get over some insecurities. I had to overcome some things, but the middle is not final. It's not the last say. God's promises have the last say. And the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so I just got to believe that and say, you know what, if the middle is messed up, I'm just going to keep on walking because God has promised me something. So let's keep reading. John chapter 11, and we'll go down to uh, verse 11 through 15. It says this, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. You know, can I just stop and say, I love the fact that the disciples were not the smartest men in Israel. Um, <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, he's asleep. Our friend Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, have his mama wake him up. Why do we have to go all the way to Bethany just to wake somebody up? This is, what, doesn't make sense. So then Jesus had to make it plain and just like, hey, guys, he's dead. So we're going to have to go <laughs> to them. And they're like, oh, okay, you should have just said that in the first place. I love that because Jesus chose ordinary people. And I'm an ordinary dude. Like, four syllables on my words, that's about as long as they're going to get, okay? I'm, I am ordinary. Um, and I, I, I'm glad that the disciples were not people who had, come on, studied all the scriptures and knew them by heart before they went to Jesus. I'm glad that Jesus was just like, hey, you catch fish? I'm going to teach you how to catch men. Come with me. And they were just like, okay, where do I put my rod? He's like, you don't need that anymore. Just leave it right there. Okay, I'm coming. Like, because is there any ordinary people here right now? Come on, so it encourages me to know that God uses ordinary people, but that one was free. That had nothing to do with what I was talking about. I just wanted to (laughs) give that to you. Um, I think that it's funny because Jesus says, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And what that reminds me is that God is moved by purpose. He's not moved by our problems. God is not moved by your problems. And I know that's not what we like to hear. Because when I have a problem, come on, I pretty much need God to move, like, immediately. Like, I'm like, Jesus, I need a miracle. Baby Jesus, Jesus with the dreadlocks, Jesus with the flowy hair, Jesus with the, with the robe, Jesus with the Velcro slippers. Like, what, whichever Jesus is available, I need you now. Like, I'm not somebody that prays for next week or two weeks or in a month. Like, I'm not praying a preparation prayer. I'm praying it because I need it right now because I'm a last-minute type of guy. So I'm like, hey, I need you n- now to, to move. And Jesus says, I'm glad that I wasn't there for your sake because he's moved by purpose and he's not moved by problems. You know, I was thinking, like, Mary and Martha, come on, their brother is dead. And I have, I have four sisters, right? And so I wonder, like, what my sisters will react like if they called one of my friends because I was dying, and then the friend showed up, like, a week later. Like, they probably, like, my sisters are sweet, but they probably wouldn't be as kind as Mary and Martha. Like, I have this one sister named Leanna. She's the emotional one, right? She cries a lot, okay? Hopefully she doesn't watch this because I'm talking about her. She's going to text me and be like, don't talk about me like that. But, 
She cries a lot. Like, everything makes her cry. So she probably would be, come on, the one that runs out to meet Jesus when he gets there. Jesus, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have just saved him. (laughs) But I have this other sister. Her name is Bree. Bree is is not as emotional. Bree is my younger sister, but I would call her to beat people up for me. Like, to this day, if someone crossed me, I'd be like, I'm calling Bree. Like, she's about to roll. <laughs> Bree would have been in the house like, oh, Jesus here? Oh, finally you decided to show up, Jesus? He's been dead for four days. You, you late. We already had the funeral, the wait. We didn't make plates. You don't, we didn't make you a to-go plate. We didn't even know you were coming. Like, you just finally decided to show up. He did. You could just <laughs> keep doing your little miracle thing. Like, Bree does not play. And I think sometimes... We can be like that, and we think that God needs to move immediately, and heaven needs to move right now. But here's what I've learned, is that sometimes Jesus has allowed something to die in my life because it's producing something in me that I'm going to need. So something may have died, and he hasn't moved right now because it's doing something inside of you. And that's so hard, but, but the Bible says that we should count it all joy when we face trials and tribulations because we know God is working in us and he's perfecting us and he's getting us ready. And so God doesn't always move immediately because he's teaching us something. That's why I don't really pray for patience. Like, you will never, like, come to a prayer meeting with me and be like, we're going to pray for patience today. We all need just more patience. Like, because every time I pray for patience, he sends a person or a circumstance that's going to get on, like, my last nerve. And I'm going to be like, I get it. Patience. Okay. I'm just, I'm just start praying for resources. Like, give me a youth room, Lord Jesus. Come on. I'm praying for resources. I'm not praying for patience anymore because I know that God works on purpose. Um, but on a serious note, when something begins to die in my life, I have had to start asking myself certain questions. Like, God, what are you trying to show me right now? Like, what are you trying to teach me? What is the thing that maybe even I thought I knew, but I just had it right here, but you're trying to get it into my heart? God, what are you trying to show the people around me? What are you trying to show, come on, the people that I'm running with? What are you trying to show the people that are with me? What are you trying to teach them through this situation? Because I can't rush what God is going to do because I know that he's doing something. And here's the biggest question that I ask is that if God resurrected the thing that you want him to, whose life will be changed other than yours? Like, if he brought that thing back to life that you've been praying over for a year, would it affect just you or would it affect all the people around you because it restored you and it turned you into a minister? And so here's the question that we have to ask. If God resurrected it right now, whose life would change? Because I don't want to just pray selfish prayers. I don't want to just pray things that are going to make my life better. I want to pray things that are going to make the people around me come on step closer to the Lord because God is moved by purpose. He's not moved by problems. And so every little problem I have does not mean that heaven has to move immediately. It may mean that God is trying to teach me something and he's getting me ready to minister to more people. Because you got to know by the time that Jesus ends up showing up, there was a crowd there. There wasn't just Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Come on, he had the disciples. Come on, there were Jewish people there. And he had to do something um, so that they, like he said, so that it would be to the glory of God because the Son of God will be glorified through it. Um, so as we continue reading John 11, uh, verse 38 through 44, um, and this is everyone's favorite part of the story, um, it says this, Then Jesus deeply moved again, 
came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And I want to point out something. Before Jesus got there, he asked them a very specific question. He said, where have you laid him? When he talked to his sisters, they came saying, hey, he's dead. Like, if you would have just showed up earlier. And he was like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, he, he's, you're going to see your brother again. And she gave, his sister gave this super spiritual response of like, yeah, I know. Like, when you come back, everyone will be resurrected and lifted with you. And he said, no, 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 you're not getting it. I am the resurrection. I, you will see your brother again. And so here's what we need to know is that we need to allow Jesus into the spaces that we left the dead thing in. Come on, where we left the dead thing, we have to allow Jesus into that space. This is why we encourage people to go through freedom, because that's what that does. Come on, the things where things have died in your life through the last 30 years, you got to go back and you got to allow Jesus to touch those moments because he has the power to resurrect. And this was just foreshadowing. We know that Jesus came back. Come on, he died. He loved us so much that he came, lived a perfect life. He died for us, and then he raised again so that we can have not just life, but that we can have life everlasting. Come on, we can have life and life more abundantly. And so there is still more life to be had. And I had this idea when I got saved that once I got saved, there would be no more problems. Come on. Come on, I was going to be with Jesus. And I know my life when I wasn't saved was rough, but now that I got Jesus, come on, y'all seen the movies with Jesus. Come on, his hair is always perfect, and his robe is always pressed, and he got the slippers on. Come on, he just walks in, it's like he's floating, and for some reason he has a British accent. I don't know, but they were in the Middle East, so they're just like, come here, and I don't know. But Jesus in the movies is always, because just come on, just perfect. So I thought that's what life was going to be like. I was just going to be gliding through life healing people, and living my best life. But the truth of the matter is that sometimes some things die in our life, and we have to say, you know what, Jesus, I know that you're good, but I really need you in this moment to step into this place. Because here's the thing. With the stone against the tomb, first of all, they, they wouldn't allow a high priest to even be around dead people back in that day. So when Jesus told them, hey, remove the stone, he was saying, hey, the thing that used to hold us back, the thing that used to say, I can't do this, you can't speak to this, we're going to move that out of the way. And so I don't know what that is in your life. Maybe somebody spoke something over you 10 years ago, and that's still a stone that's holding you back from the promises of God. I want to tell you that Jesus is ready to remove that right now. He's saying, show me where you laid it, and let's get it out of the way. But I have to be honest with you, okay? Because I just like to be honest with people. I don't want to give people a false idea of what it's going to be like. The closer you get to resurrection, the closer you get to life, the harder it gets. The harder it gets because we have a real enemy. And so before I get into this, obviously, everything is not the enemy, but I do believe there is spiritual warfare. For example, my car, the check engine light, has been on for a while. It's been like three, four, <laughs> six weeks. It's been on a little while, okay? And so if I leave church today 
in my car breaks down by Popeye's, one, I'm going to take that as a sign from God, and I'm going to get a chicken sandwich. <laughs> but two, I'm not going to get out of the car, stomp around seven times my car, thinking that it's like the walls of Jericho because the enemy is attacking me and I must march. No, that's probably my fault because I didn't handle the check engine light. But we do have a very real opposition. And so here you are. Come on, you went through framework. You're serving. Come on, you went to freedom class. Come on, you're getting free. And now your teenager the last couple weeks has started talking. They started talking back a little bit. That's probably opposition. And let me just say something. Come on, you, you go into the teenager's room, and you're like, they're just like, oh, excuse me, you didn't even knock. You, I'm like almost 13 now, and so this is my area, and this is kind of my room, and my bathroom, and my computer, and my phone, and, and this is just my space. So if you're going to come into my space, I just need you to, to knock. Can I just, where are the young people at in here? So, no, I'm going to just talk to you because you're the first one I see. <laughs> Y'all would not have survived in my mom's house, okay? <laughs> my mama did not play, okay? My mom will bust in your room like the SWAT team, like, boom, what you doing in this room? I'm like, this is my room. Your room? You pay bills here? Do you pay light bill? Do you buy any groceries? Do you buy anything? Do you pay the car bill? Do you pay for gas? Do you pay for AC? I will take everything out of here that I pay for. You don't have anything. Matter of fact, this is my other room. This is not your room. You don't even own clothes. I bought these clothes. I will take everything out of here. The phone, the TV, the game. Matter of fact, give me my PlayStation. I will take, I will take all your clothes. Next time you say don't come into your room, I will take everything you have and you're just going to be sitting in here bored and naked in your room. I'm just saying, I don't think you would have survived, Noah. Maybe you would have adapted. But the truth is, there's a very real opposition. And so you may step into a season and wonder why. Why are these things getting harder? Why are these things more difficult for me? And here's what I want to encourage you with. is I see, I see people all the time, they're stepping, and they're stepping, and they're walking, and they're getting closer and closer to the life that God has for them. And they get right to the edge, and then something dies. Come on, that relationship, come on, it died. Finances ain't really looking like you thought they would look. Your marriage is not looking like you thought a marriage should look. And so what happens is we get right to the edge of it, and we decide, you know what? I'm just going to go back to where I was at. But I just want to encourage somebody. Will you just take one more step? Come on, will you just take one more step? Because life is right around the corner, and you may have to move some stones, and you may have to convince some other people. You may even have to convince yourself, because some days I got to wake up and just like, I am a man of God. I do have a calling on my life. I do have something that's in me. I just got to talk in the mirror and be like, you know what? You are a strong man of God. You may not look strong on the outside, but on the inside, brother, you are strong. And so you have to continue to step, because I don't think that opposition is God telling you to stop. I think that it's the opposite. I think it's God telling you, hey, you're almost there. Just take one more step. It's, uh, you're right there. And so as we kind of um, close today, um, I, w- I want to point out something that, that they said in the beginning. Um, they said that, that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. Um, so he stayed where he was at two more days. Jesus is motivated by love. Jesus moves out of love. And so when he brings, and what love does is it brings life. It brings life. And it can bring life to any situation. That's why we talk so much about having a life-giving culture. It doesn't mean that we all just going to make sure that we smile and pop a mint in before people show up and give people coffee and high-fives and say, hey. 
But it means there's something deep in us that knows that we can bring life to a situation and God has restored some things in us. And so we got to walk that out. And here's how I know it's possible for Jesus to bring life to every situation is because he brought it to mind. If you knew me when I was 12 or 14 or 17, you would have said, it's pretty much over. <laughs> like, <laughs> It doesn't look like he's going to turn out to be much. See, I grew up in a house with a single parent and my mom has nine kids, so we got a whole baseball team. Just ah, It's great. But with that, we didn't grow up going to church. We didn't grow up like with like good morals. We just pretty much grew up like we'll, we take care of our family, but then we do what we want to do. And so with that, my older brother kind of raised me. And so by the time I was in high school, I didn't have much hope. I wasn't like had this six-year plan of like how awesome my life was going to be. I was like, man, if I could graduate high school and just move out of where I live at, that would be a great life for me. But I had this unexpected moment. I had this friend um, who was from a different side of town than me, who wasn't really, didn't really, her type of people did not mix with my type of people. Um, but she decided to say, you know what, I'm going to invite Devin to church. And she invited me over and over and over, and I bet there was a moment where she thought, you know what, Devin's kind of hopeless. <laughs> I'm not going to invite him anymore. But she kept doing it. And finally, I said, you know what, there was a youth thing on a Saturday night, and I said, you know what, I'll go to this if you never ask me to go to church again. <laughs> she was like, okay. So I was like, all right, I'm going to come. It's going to be like 30 minutes of weird. I know they're going to probably lift hands or something, and then I'm just going to go and continue living my life, but at least she won't bother me anymore. And what happened that night is that Jesus came in Come on, and he brought life to a dead person. And this is what the Bible says, that when we were in sin, come on, we were dead. So we were like Michael Jackson thriller video, just dun, 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 dun. Some of us, not all of us, it's okay. But Jesus can bring life because he loves us so much. And I believe that I heard a few things that night that maybe you need to hear. I heard that Jesus loved me. And I don't know if I believed it fully in that moment, but I was just like, you know what? I'm crying right now, so Jesus, you do love me. I heard that Jesus had a call on my life, that he had something for me. And no one ever told me that there was a plan for my life. No one. In the 17 years I was alive, no one ever said, Devin, you have a plan for your life. But that night, I knew that God had something for me. And the middle, come on, has been a little rough. And sometimes we're, I'm still in the middle. But God loved me so much that he brought life to a dead situation. And he wants to do the same thing in your life. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that. Come on, I want to build up your faith today that if there's something, come on, there's a relationship, there's a thing, there's a situation, there's a dream, there's a vision that you had that you feel like, man, this is dead. God is just getting you ready. If you'll just be obedient. Here's the thing. They had to be obedient. Come on, everyone had to show up at the tomb with the dead dude? Like, who, want, who wants to do that? But their obedience was building a crowd. And that's what your obedience is doing right now. Come on, there are people that are watching you, and they're saying, I don't know if that's ever going to turn around for them. I don't know if, I don't know if Devin's ever going to get that concept. I don't know if his life is ever going to look right. And there may be 10 or 15, and then I believe that Jesus is just going to show up, and he's going to turn it all around. And then you're going to have 10 to 15 witnesses that say, the Son of God is real. Come on, somebody. And if he can do it in Devin's life, if he can do it in Maggie's life, if he can do it in Shelby's life, if he can do it in Adam's, if he can do it in Courtney's, if he can do it in our lives, and we're just ordinary people, then he can do it in their lives, and it's going to build their faith. Will you stand up with me?
our society needs life today more than it ever has. It needs the life-giving message of Jesus today more than it ever has. But it's going to come through us. And here's what I've learned, that everything that Jesus brings back to life in my life, everything that he resurrects for me is for somebody else to see. It's for somebody else to look at and go, you know what, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to do it. And so those dreams that you let die, you got to go back. You got to take Jesus to him and you got to resurrect him because somebody needs it. Somebody needs it. You know, you're supposed to write a book like three years ago. Just go ahead and finish it and put it out. And if five people are blessed by it, then five people are blessed by it. You used to sing when you were five. I used to sing when I was five, but I've lost it. I've tried, okay? But you used to sing. And then someone told you, you sound stupid. Stop singing. And so for the last 20 years, you haven't opened your mouth. But it's time to open it again. It's time to let Jesus come back in and speak to that because there's a crowd being built by your obedience. And they need to know that this doesn't end in death, but it ends with the glory of God. And the Son of God is going to get glory through it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.